Well, every blessing to you all, and welcome back to my beautiful open-air pulpit. I wanted to speak today about Roman Catholicism, and I want to call this message, How to Snap a Catholic Out of Catholicism. Go to John chapter 6. If there's one verse that every Catholic knows, or if there's one part of the New Testament that every Catholic knows, outside of thou art Peter and upon this rock will I build my church it will be John chapter 6 John chapter 6 look at verse 53 if you will then Jesus said unto them verily verily I say unto you except ye eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood ye have no life in you and they say this they say well there you are you see we don't just get our beliefs concerning the Eucharist concerning transubstantiation from thin air we get our beliefs they say from john chapter 6 a 54 whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life and i will raise him up at the last day and they say well there you are you see we have something to fall back on and yet just for the record the catholic church have always been of the opinion that they get their truths quote-unquote from scripture and tradition and when the two clash and of course they always will clash they go with tradition but if you are a born-again bible believing christian if you are a former catholic like i am you know that all that really matters is the word of god in fact allow me to say this it could be that some of the early church leaders that they like to quote those that fit their purpose, of course, and those that say what uh, they want them to say, may not have even existed. On top of that, we don't even know if what they wrote is authentic. Some of those writings are spurious. Some of those writers are questionable, a bit like Muhammad. But here you are told from verse uh, 54 that if you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have, like right now, eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. That feeds back into the Lord's deity. And one of my future messages is to look at heretics, people that attack the Lord's deity. And they say that he was a good man. They say that he was a holy man. They say that he was a prophet. And they stop there. And of course, that will not do. 56. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. So 53, the Lord is speaking to the Jews in the synagogue, always be aware of that, and he's speaking about his flesh and his blood. If you go back to the earlier verses from John chapter 6, he says he is the bread of life, and also from, I think it's John chapter 10, he says he is the door, which feeds into my message that I'm currently working through uh, from the book of Exodus. And please join me once again this coming Sunday as I return to chapter 12. And over in Exodus chapter 12, the Lord says, When I see the blood on the doorposts, so on and so forth, I will pass over and the plague won't touch you. And of course, you know that Jesus Christ is the door. So the Jews back in the Old Testament are taking an animal, killing the animal, putting the animal's blood on the top of the door. And of course, Jesus Christ hung on a cross. He is the door. You can't get away from the imagery. Unless, of course, you don't want to see it. But here, he's speaking to Jews under the law. And here... He is really driving home the point that for them to be a part 
of salvation to be a part of the new covenant to be saved. They would have to be literally identified with a crucified Messiah. My flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. In other words, my flesh and my blood is all sufficient. He that drinketh my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, present tense, and I in him. So, so far, you think it's all pretty straightforward. And like I say, Catholics will nearly always go to this piece of scripture to argue sometimes in desperation their beliefs and they like to fall back on the church fathers like i say some of which we don't even know existed but let's say for argument's sake they did exist and let's say for argument's sake that what they said fits into the mindsets of the roman catholic does that even concern us when i first got saved i remember speaking to a pastor and he said this to me he said uh, can i give you a book written by rc sprawl it's called uh, chosen by god and i still have that book at home and I said, okay, I'll take it home and read it. I've been saved maybe six months or so. And what he was trying to do was mold me. He wanted me to sing from his hymn sheet. And I went home, read through the book, and I made a lot of notes. And some of that book uh, made up the bulk, or parts of that book uh, found their way into my article on Calvinism. But what he was trying to do is what the Catholics try to do with their new recruits, people that convert to Catholicism. He was trying to mold me. He wanted me to be part of the Calvinist mindset. And the Catholics, like I say, many times go back to the church fathers and say, well, he said this and he said that, therefore it must be so. Listen, the church fathers are all very well, but they weren't inspired. The reformers were all very well, but they weren't inspired. Yes, we can get some interesting thoughts from the reformers and yes we can get some interesting thoughts from the church fathers like the deity of the lord jesus christ like their defense of the triunity of god but the final authority isn't the church fathers and the final authority is not the reformers as important as both groups were in a limited sense you understand they are not our final authority the word of god is so if you were to read these verses, and if you, are a, uh, if you are an average Catholic, you might think, well, there you are. You see, we've got the uh, Bible believers banged to rights. Uh, we've shut their mouths. Uh, we've been able to show them that the Lord is speaking about eating his flesh and drinking his blood. And somehow, in a macabre sort of a way, they take John 6 before the law, uh, given to the Jews under the law, before the church had even been initiated and somehow take those verses and transport them over to the mass now at best when you get to first corinthians chapter 11 paul speaks about break, uh, breaking bread having communion and it was the custom of the early church to do so every sunday morning like the first day of the week and i spent i think 24 weeks going through first corinthians verse by verse a couple of years ago or so now and I made the case very clearly that because people were sick because people were even dying over in Corinth uh, you shouldn't take from that that they were sick and dying because they were somehow abusing the Eucharist or the Mass which of course didn't come along until much later they were dying they were sick because their bodies 
or the temple of the Holy Ghost. They were defiling their bodies. And when somebody defiles their body, they become sick. And that sickness can feed into the sin unto death, which means just that, death. That's why they were sick and dying. It wasn't because they were abusing the wafer, or they were drinking too much red wine, or white wine, like the Catholics do, every time they go to Mass. It was because they were defiling their bodies, and their bodies were the temple of the Holy Ghost. Go to Revelation chapter 10. So I want to suggest this. I want to suggest that John chapter 6, first and foremost, is the Lord speaking hyperbole. Figurative language. Now don't get me wrong, I believe the Word of God is just that. I believe uh, the Scripture is eternal, cannot be broken, and I certainly believe that the Scripture is our final authority. But we have to be careful when it comes to reading the Word of God as to how we interpret the Word of God. When John the Baptist saw the Lord Jesus Christ coming to him, he would say, Behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And of course, you know that Jesus Christ wasn't a literal lamb. That's a description for his, his uh, humility. At the second advent, he is referred to as the lion of the tribe of Judah. And of course, a lion will rip you to shreds if necessary. John is also speaking in a figurative sense. If you think of John chapter 2, when the Lord is speaking to the Jews, again, under the law, and he says, destroy this temple, this body, and in three days I will raise it up again. And they thought he was referring to the literal temple, which uh, incidentally would be destroyed, 70 AD, but he was referring to his body. And never once did he stop and correct them, which also gets put to Bible believers. They say, well, if the Lord was speaking hyperbole, if he was speaking in figurative language, uh, why not turn around and correct those that uh, disappeared? I'll come to that in a minute. Revelation uh, chapter 10, Revelation chapter 10, uh, look, if you will, please, at verse 8. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, and said, Go, and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. So if you want to take John chapter 6 literally, concerning the Lord's literal body, and his literal blood, like eating his body in a literal sense, and drinking his blood in a literal sense. And you have to be consistent if you are a Catholic. Otherwise, this will not work. You can't pick and choose which verses are literal. Either they are all literal, and are to be taken literally, or they are not all literal. And therefore, you spiritualize all of the verses, which can also be a dangerous thing. Let me just say this before I explain this to you. If you fall into the trap, of taking verses literally in every possible sense, then you are in the same camp as the Mormons, and we refer to such as letterism. And they take every verse literally, or so they believe. Of course, they are a false religion. But officially, if you speak, if you speak to Mormons, they say, well, we take the Bible literally, and they claim to follow Joseph Smith, so on and so forth. But they fall into the trap of letterism, and they take verses like, ye are God, saith the Lord, and there are many gods, so many, uh, many gods and many lords, from 1 Corinthians 8. And they say, there you are, you see. Paul says, many gods, many lords, and as uh, God now is, we will be, or as man once was, uh, as man 
once was, so is God. I quite, can't quite remember the exact uh, description or the term <coughs> which the Mormons like to use, but in essence what they are saying is, is that God was once a man. And if you are a faithful Mormon, one day you can be a God just like him, which of course is a lie. And they make a blunder from 1 Corinthians chapter 8, much like the Catholics do from John um, chapter 6. And the voice which I heard from heaven spake unto me again, literally, and said, Go and take the little book which is open in the hand of the angel, which standeth upon the sea and upon the earth. I want to say this, that if you think of salvation like provision and appropriation or appropriation and provision, you know that salvation doesn't benefit you until you reach out and receive it. And here, this angel, referred to as the mighty angel, uh, from memory back in verse uh, 1, has been suggested by some to be Christ, it's possible. And here the angel is speaking to John, who's, who of course is a type of the church, and he wants John to take the book. Now, let's say for argument's sake it is a literal book. You've got John being raptured, you've got John being removed from Patmos, you've got John up in space, and he's in a spiritual uh, setting. Well, let me just clarify that. He hasn't yet received his new body, so his body is on the earth. His soul, or his spirit, take your pick, has been removed from the earth, so he is in a spiritual sense uh, between heaven and earth. Difficult to really comprehend that, but he's not in a physical sense. He's not physically uh, glorified yet. So he is in heaven in a spiritual sense. His body, like I say, is on the earth, but his spirit or his soul has been removed. Could be like a vision. Could be like a trance, going back to uh, Peter from the book of Acts. And it says he was hungry and the Lord spoke to him and said, eat this and do this and do that, so on and so forth. Peter didn't leave the earth. He was in a trance, and it could be, in a sense, that John is in a similar sense, in a trance of some kind, and therefore you have to be careful how you take this particular piece of scripture. But let's keep reading on, understanding that what these verses are dealing with are not only supernatural, but he hasn't yet got his glorified body. 9. And I went unto the angel, and said unto him, Give me the little book. And he said unto me, Take it, and eat it up. And it shall make thy belly bitter, but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. So, do you think, first of all, it was possible that John was removed from the earth, transported from the earth, is somewhere between heaven and earth, third heaven, possibly getting ready to see New Jerusalem, and in his spiritual state, a book was given to him, and somehow he was able to eat the book. And yet, based on John chapter 6, based on that logic that Catholics like to hold to, they would have to say yes. They would have to say that John was literally eating this book, although his body is still on the earth. 
his teeth, his tongue, his digestive system was still on the earth. But let's just say for argument's sake that his whole body, soul and spirit has been removed from the earth and now he is with this mighty angel far north, third heaven and a literal book has been given to him. Let's see if that works. Take it, eat it and it will make your belly bitter but it shall be in thy mouth sweet as honey. We refer to such as bittersweet because the message of the revelation of the apocalypse is a bittersweet one. On the one hand, it's wonderful news that one day all this pain and suffering will come to an end. One day the Lord is going to return and rule and reign for 1,000 literal years, and I mean 1,000 literal years leading into eternity. And yet, the flip side to that is going to be death carnage, famine, pestilence, starvation, the heat is going to be unbearable, there will be almost no water to drink, people will attempt suicide and the Lord will say no, you're not going anywhere, you're going to stay and suffer. You put my son on the cross, you mocked him, you rejected him, you blaspheme his name all of the time and I've sent my son to preach to you, I sent the apostles to preach to you, I've sent the two witnesses to preach to you, I've sent 144,000 to preach to you, I allow the third temple to go up, you've had revelation, you've had creation, you've had everything, and yet in spite of all that, you don't want to know me, you continue to harden your hearts, and on top of that, you receive any other message apart from the one true message. So therefore, clearly, it is a bittersweet commission. And for those of us which are saved, for those of us which <coughs> preach the gospel and have teaching ministries, it is bittersweet. It's sweet to know that I am saved. It is sweet to know that the scripture is the word of God. <coughs> but it's also bitter when I know that most of the world are going to pass up on this and end up in hell. 10. And I took the little book out of the angel's hand and ate it up. And it was in my mouth sweet as honey. And as soon as I had eaten it, my belly was bitter. Again, take the Catholic point of view from John 6. It has to be literal, they say. Revelation 10. It has to be literal, they say. And therefore, we are to believe, based on that logic, that John is eating pages. I suppose he eats the spine as well. And after eating the Bible, literally, or this book, literally, based on the logic, <coughs> excuse me, from uh, John chapter 6, how does it help him? Clearly, this is hyperbole language, going back to John chapter 6. And clearly, John knows that what he is seeing, what he is receiving, what he has been privy to is bittersweet. And if you've been saved, if you've preached the gospel to your closest and dearest and they have rejected it, you know how bitter the gospel is. But if you've got people saved, then you know how sweet it is. So keep John 6 in mind. 
keep Revelation 10 in mind. And let's say, for one, uh, let's say one more time, just for argument's sake, that the Lord is speaking literally. There is no scope. There is no room for misunderstanding him. And you must take what he says literally, based on the Catholic logic. Never mind the Jews spoke many times hyperbole. Never mind that Jesus Christ, back in the Gospels especially, was speaking in the presence of a mixed multitude. Going back to Exodus chapter 12, and it says how a mixed multitude came out of Egypt, meaning some were saved and some were not, like the wheat and the tares. Never mind that the Lord Jesus Christ spoke in parables back in the Gospels because much of what he was saying was, was uh, only for the ears of the, uh, of the apostles, like need to know basis. And therefore, when he's speaking to his apostles, his disciples, and you've got hundreds, sometimes thousands in proximity, he won't share sacred truths with those people. Doesn't it say over in Matthew 7, don't cast your pearls before swine? So what does he do? He speaks hyperbole in the presence of all those people. And then later on, he gives a secret, uh, in-depth briefing. He opens up the scriptures in a more detailed sense. But here's the real clincher when it comes to the blunder, the uh, erroneous asegesis, because that is what this is, asegesis. Go to Matthew chapter 5. So you are a Catholic, you go to Mass, you're very proud of your church, and you believe the Eucharist is something special. You bow down, and I mean literally, <coughs> every time the priest holds up the Eucharist, and I used to bow down every time the priest would hold up the Eucharist, I served Mass for many years. And the reason why people bow down when the priest holds up the Eucharist or holds up the wafer is because in, the, in their minds, he has changed the wafer into the body, and the Eucharist has been changed into the blood, which would make the priest some kind of a god, going back to the Mormons, dangerous and demented doctrine, that, how, that somehow, that somehow, Mormons, human, finite, sinful people, can one day promote, or can be promoted, can one day be transformed, uh, translated into deity, which goes back to the lie from the serpent, back in Genesis. But here's the clincher. If you want to be consistent, if you want to be consistent, then you will have to take this also, literally. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, look at verse 27, if you will. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. Literal adultery, not just spiritual adultery, but literal adultery. 29, and if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Take it literally. I mean, if you are a Roman Catholic, if you are one of the groups that have converted 
in recent decades and now are going around trying to proselytize <coughs> and defend your church, you will find that such people don't go on the streets. Such people don't actually promote Roman Catholicism. They are on the defensive, not the offensive. But let's say you are a Roman Catholic and you think to yourself, well, I can deal with John 6 and I can deal with uh, Revelation chapter 10, but I'm now stuck when it comes to Matthew chapter 5. Look at verse 30. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Why not take it literally as well? You think John 6 is literal? When your priest holds up the Eucharist, you go down on your knees. When your priest holds up the wafer, you go down on your knees. You literally believe that when you receive communion, that you are receiving the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, based on a misunderstanding from John chapter 6. You go to Revelation chapter 10, you say, well, that could be literal as well. With God, all things are possible. Yes, absolutely. Does that mean without exception or without distinction? Pluck your eye out, cut your hand off, cast it from you. Why? For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, like uh, be castrated or be mutilated in a sense, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And yet I've never heard a Roman Catholic in all of my life, pre my salvation and post my salvation, read Matthew 5, 27 to 30, and say to be consistent with Holy Mother Church, quote unquote, we have to take this literally, we have to take Revelation 10 literally, and let's not make the mistake that the Mormons make from 1 Corinthians 8, becoming gods, and yet we get to Matthew chapter 5, we've got a problem. Because if we preach that in a literal sense, if we uphold such verses in a literal sense, then Catholics are going to have to start cutting their hands off, plucking their eyes out, and of course that will not happen. And you may say, well, as a Catholic, I go to church, that still isn't good enough. And this is where Catholics, like most people, pick and choose which bits they want, like the Mormons. They will say, oh yes, we're saved by our faith in Christ alone, and then the works come later which show that we are saved, or we have to do works in order to stay saved. They had something on to the end of faith alone, which therefore nullifies the gospel of the grace of God. But I say unto you, that whosoever looketh on a woman, just once, to lust after her, hath committed adultery with her in his heart. It goes both ways, incidentally. Men are guilty of this. Women are guilty of this. Here's a quick statistic. Slight footnote, slight deviation, but I think it's just worth mentioning while I have the time, that domestic violence, for many, many years, we have been led to believe is uh, mainly down to aggressive men. I think for many years we were led to believe that 80 
sometimes 90% of domestic violence came from the man to the woman. But a recent statistic suggests that it's now 50-50. 50-50. Women are just as aggressive to their partners as their partners are to them. I don't like that term partner, but you know what I mean when I use it. So 50% or 50-50 men or women are equally as guilty. A bit like pornography. Did you know that the numbers are narrowing? For many years it was like 70% of porn, uh, porn addicts were men and just 30% were women. It's narrowing. It's now 60-40. 60% being men, 40% being women. But here, if a man or woman lusts after somebody of the opposite sex, let's not even get into the perversion of same-sex relations. Let's just deal with uh, heterosexuality. If a man lusts after a woman, or a woman lusts after a man, according to this, such has already committed adultery. And therefore, to stop it going any further, pluck your right eye out, verse 29, cut it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Why not take it literally, my Catholic friend? Because you can't. If you took such a passage literally, You'd have millions, maybe a billion Catholics around the world going around with a missing hand, a missing eye. It'd be an absolute mess, wouldn't it? And please excuse the dramatics, but you understand the seriousness of this. And if thy right hand offend thee, and of course you know what men do with their right hands when they get excited, like what women do with their right hands when they get excited, cut it off. But you won't see any Catholic do that, will you? You won't hear any priest preach that. And cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And I mean hell. Not purgatory, which does not exist. I mean hell. So I will say this. Jesus Christ is speaking metaphorically, hyperbole, figuratively, Go to John chapter 6 and I'll close. And if you want to be foolish enough to take such passages, literally, and fall into the sin of idolatry, which is the most serious sin in the scripture, a false worship of a God, not the God, then you do what you want to do. But if you want to be logical, if you want to think this thing through, if you want to understand what is going on and not end up at the great white throne judgment. Lord, Lord, why are we here? We went to mass. We did this. We did that. And he turns around and says, but I never knew you. And such people weeping, wailing and gnashing of teeth. But this verse, I think, really explains the whole thing. John 6 63 John 6 63 it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing the words that I speak unto you they are spirit and they are life it is a spirit the Holy Ghost that quickeneth like makes you alive for by grace are you saved by faith and that not of yourselves it is a gift of God not of works 
lest any man should boast. It is the Spirit, Holy Ghost, that quickeneth, makes you alive. You can't save yourself, don't be so foolish. The flesh profiteth nothing. Your flesh profits you nothing. You cannot save yourself, you cannot keep yourself saved. The flesh profits nothing. Cut your hands off, pluck your eyes out, become a cannibal, worship the Eucharist as much as you will, and you will still go to hell. The words that I speak unto you, the words that I speak unto you, every word of God is breathed, God breathed. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And yet for far too many people, like Catholics and Mormons, and I've just given you two groups, they say, well, these verses or this particular part of John chapter 6 is all very well, but we will stick with the church fathers, we will stick with the popes, the councils, and that's fine. If that's what you want to do, that's fine. I can't change your mind. And yet I hope some of you may at least crack open a Bible and read this for yourself. But I think most are going to end up on that broad road, whereas only a few are going to go through the narrow road, and the narrow gate being everlasting life. So, how to snap a Catholic out of Catholicism? Show them Matthew 5. Show them John 6. Show them Revelation 10. And just see how consistent they are. And you'll know within five or six seconds that they are not consistent. Most have never even seen Matthew chapter 5. Like I say, excluding thou art Peter, and upon this rock will I build my church. Most know about John chapter 6. Most Catholics don't read the Bibles, their Bibles. Most Catholics have a very uh, superficial grasp of the Scriptures. And most Catholics are really trusting, not only in their church, but uh, their tradition. But on top of that, they're also trusting in their hearts. But I know in my heart, this is Holy Mother Church. I know in my heart, this is the true church of Joseph Smith. But I know in my heart that we are the true people of Jehovah. But I know in my heart that the Freemasons are the real deal. But I know in my heart that Allah and Muhammad are the real deal. But I know in my heart that Ellen White was a real prophetess. But I know in my heart that Mary Baker Eddy was a wonderful woman. And it goes on and on and on and on and on. And the Word of God says how your heart is desperately wicked. That's why you must be born again. That's why you must have a new heart. And that's why you must, if you are saved, and when you get saved, be a Bible reader. Not just a Bible believer, but a Bible reader. Because if you are just a Bible believer, and not a Bible reader, you won't know anything. You'll be tossed to and fro, and end up falling for every uh, trick that comes your way. But John 6, 53 tells you have everlasting life in the present tense when you take his flesh, drink his blood, like receive him. And for the Jews, it meant to literally crucify him, which they would do. Don't forget over in 1 Corinthians, it says how uh, to the Jews, a crucified Messiah was a stumbling block. And for the Greeks, it was foolishness. 
And therefore Jesus, a Jew, speaking to the Jews under the law, wants them to literally be identified with his crucifixion and trust in that as their salvation. The Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And of course, drinking his blood, feeding back to his literal bloody death on the cross. And on that note, and the rain is now falling, may I wish you every blessing and happiness, and the Lord bless you all in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.